So this is our final week on our sermon series, Preparation for the Mission. We are tying our values to our mission. And today we're talking about stewardship. In the action step of tying stewardship to existing as a church to see people restored by the gospel is remarkable generosity. Remarkable generosity. You know, we've had some people, many people, give remarkably to this church, but I want to share just one remarkable story of someone who just had a remarkable generosity and really changed the culture of our church and the life of this church. Every August, I sit down with whoever is doing the church finances, and I, um, we do the budget. I hate the budget day. I hate budget day. I hate it because this is not a business where you send out invoices and people have to pay them. This is not a business where you can um, make people give money. This is a church where you call people to have generous hearts to fuel the mission of God. And so every time I, me and Alex sat down and we went through the budget, and it's always by faith, and I always see what we're going to have to have faith for to run this church for another year. I usually get very little sleep the night after the budget meeting, meaning it's very stressful. I know it. I get ready for it as a leader. I know it's part of a leadership burden. That's what you go through. That's what you signed up for, um, and that's what you learn to handle. And so I went to bed that night. The next morning, I woke up at 3.50. You ever, have, you ever wake up because you got so much on your mind and your heart? Wait. So I woke up at 3.50, and I said, I can't go back to sleep because I had this burden on my mind. And I knew it was a test of faith. And so I said, God is testing my faith. And so even though I feel this way, I'm not going to act according to my feelings. I'm going to have faith. I'm not going to fear. But I prayed this prayer to God. I said, God... If you are for Restoration Road and everything we're doing, we're preaching through this mission. If you're for Restoration Road, then would you have someone send us a big check this week to encourage my faith and know that we're on the right path? I I prayed that Tuesday morning. As I thought more through the story, um, I realized it was Tuesday morning. I I prayed that prayer, I believe. Um, Tuesday night, I prayed with Natalie, but still feeling that weight of, you guys know that weight feeling that weight of burden, that this is, of course, it's our responsibility, it's my responsibility to lead it. I woke up Wednesday morning, it was Talia's orientation for our first day of high school, and I saw an email shoot through on my laptop from a man who I had dinner, who owns a large company with 110 employees. Someone introduced me in July to him. Me and Natalie had dinner with another pastor, another wife. They were a great couple, and they loved Jesus. And in the email, he said, Joey, I'm sending you a check for $14,000 to pay for the heating bill this winter. Tell me the name and address to send it to. The reason I share, the reason I share these stories with you is because that is remarkable generosity demonstrated. That is remarkable generosity in action. That makes you step back and take note that I met this man once for dinner. He's never met any of us, but he believed that God was working through here and that his money was not for just his own use. His money was to fuel the mission of God. And because of his remarkable generosity, we're able to have a church and function as a church. And that's the first thing I want us to see is that remarkable generosity motivates others to be remarkably generous. Remarkable generosity fuels the mission of God. And what he did was remarkable generosity in action. 
So those are the three things we're going to talk about today, those three points. Remarkable generosity motivates others to be remarkably generous. Remarkable generosity, which is the why, why we are remarkably generous and we aim for that, is to fuel the mission of God, his church. And then we'll talk about remarkable generosity in action, which is the how. How do I live out that value and that action step? So let's start here. Remarkable generosity motivates others to be remarkably generous. In the text that Sarah read, it's the great story of the poor widow. And I love to use this because this is one Jesus used as an example of remarkable generosity. A poor widow who had nothing, who was at a stage in her life where every financial advisor in the secular sense would say, are you out of your mind to be giving anything to the temple of God and the mission of God? Are you out of your mind? You have nothing to live on. What kind of financial sense does that make? That is foolish handling of money. Yet Jesus calls his disciples to him. He says, sit down. They sit down across the treasury, and he says, look at this woman. She's the model of remarkable generosity. Look at this woman's heart. Look at this woman's mind. Look at this woman's hands and learn how to be remarkably, remarkably generous. And the question becomes, why did this woman do this? Why would you give two coins, everything you had to the temple of God, You could have easily feared the future. You could have easily hoarded it and buried it to give you more safety and security. But she said, no, I'm not withholding anything. The why is because God was everything to her and his mission was everything to her. She followed the greatest commandment. She loved God more than any material thing and loved others more than any material thing this is the heart of someone's been captured by the power of the gospel little did she know that that one act she didn't know that god himself the christ the son of god was watching her at that offering box she wasn't doing it for the fame of the glory But her one act of remarkable generosity, God used as an example not only for her current generation, but for generations to come. And even in eternity, I'm telling you, this poor widow will be high in the kingdom of heaven. She will be lifted up in the kingdom of heaven. She was last here on earth, but she will be at the front of the line in the kingdom of God. That we even learn from her remarkable generosity today. Though she had little, she gave from her lack. And she gave to the kingdom of God. This is remarkable generosity. It makes you step back and take note. It's like, whoa. whoa. That's remarkable generosity. You take note. It's worthy of the attention of both God and man. Did you see what happened? It got the attention of Jesus and it got the attention of others. It gets our attention today. Remarkable generosity makes you step back. That's not normal. Are you thinking this through? That's remarkable generosity. I saw our pastor, Pastor Rick Warren. Maybe many of you know of him. He wrote like the second best-selling book, Purpose Driven Life, ever. (laughs) I think it's like ever. I think he's second to the Bible. That's a good thing to be second to. But he got up in his later years. Now he's in his uh, late 60s, going into his 70s, and... He shared something he never shared through all his pastoral years. And it made me take note because it was remarkable. He said when he started pastoral 
ministry, he started giving 10% of his income. That's what he started with. Through the years, he wouldn't tell anyone, and he started going up in percentage every single year. To now he gives 90% of his income, and he keeps 10. He inverted his generosity. When I heard that, know what that made me do? It was so remarkable. I stepped back, I took note, and I had to ask my heart, my mind, and my hands some questions. Right? I had to ask my heart, my mind, and my hands some questions. Because remarkable is not just normal. Remarkable makes you take note. It says, wow, God is worthy. It says the gospel is worth it. God's church is worth it. Everyone who gives is thinking souls are worth it. People's sobriety is worth it. Those who find a father, it's worth it. Those who find peace, it's worth it. Those who heal from abuse, it's worth it. Those who find purpose in life, it's worth it. There's no penny that you can exchange for a man's soul, amen? We will only regret that which we did not spend on others when we pass from this life to the next. You will never regret spending more on things that are rusting and going away. Never, if the Spirit of God is living inside of you. That's the heart of remarkable generosity, and that's what that widow modeled to us, leading the way in the kingdom of God of God a different kind of kingdom that which does not cling to this earth but that that looks to a life beyond this a new heavens a new earth where every tear will be wiped away we start there she motivates us now motivation is different from inspiration inspiration is a lot easier inspiration is I say something that's already in you and you're like let's do it motivation is getting us to do what we don't want to do And usually when you talk about financial stuff, it's not easy to do. You don't naturally want to do that. What she does is she motivates us to do what we don't want to do, but what we know is right and holy and effective for the glory of God and the advancement of the kingdom. So I pray she motivates us today, and we're remarkably generous like that. And we overcome this world and the mindset that this world has when it comes to money. Amen? Secondly, That's the what remarkable generosity is. The why is so important. The why is important when we do anything, especially when we give our money. We have to say, why am I giving my money? I want to give you a second story of someone who was tremendously showed off remarkable generosity to this church. I believe it was two years ago. We were four months into our fiscal budget. We were $7,000 in the red. It was December. Seven thousand dollars in the red, seventeen fifty a month. We were in the red every single month. As you could imagine, that caused his stress. I get an email from a man. Joey, me and my wife, they had heard me preach somewhere. They said God put us on our hearts to give you seven thousand dollars for your church. Where do I send the money? It's funny how God does exact stuff, right? It's like, how is this exact? Because it makes you realize we're dependent on him for every cent in this place, for our survival. We don't survive because we're skilled or gifted. We survive because the Holy Spirit has chosen to build this house. And if we labor, if God doesn't build this, we're laboring in vain. $7,000, I said, are you kidding me? I love when Jesus does that before Christmas. Better than Santa. Do you know that he didn't stop there? The next year, 
I never met this man. He never met you. I get a text from Dave. Some dude left another $7,000 check pinned to the door. I said, what? $14,000 in two years? I haven't met you. But he believed in what God was doing at Restoration Road. What is that? That's remarkable. That's remarkable generosity. We do not exist without remarkable generosity. And this is what I need us to see. The why is when we give, it allows the church to exist, care for the members it's entrusted to, advance the gospel so souls can be saved, and create a place where people can grow and become more like Christ. And I can't think of anything on earth that's more important than that. I can't think of anything on earth. That's what Jesus died for, his bride, his church. There's nothing of more value than his church, his wife. I'm sure every husband whose heart is right would say, there's nothing more valuable than my wife. That's where I'm going to spend my money to care for her. That's what Jesus says with his church. That's the metaphor he gives us. He died for her. He laid down his life for her. He'll build a house for her. He would do anything so she would be healthy and cared for and have joy. The why is we do it for the mission of God. Jesus has chose to fund his church through the remarkable generosity of his members. That is what Jesus has chose. How does the church get funded? He has chose through the remarkable generosity of us, me and you. That's how a church is healthy and careful and thrives and plants churches and grows and sees souls saved and sees our kids cared for and see even, and this is an important thing to know, a lot of people Like when God told Noah to build the ark, right? You wouldn't say it's not about the boat, right? You wouldn't say, ah, it's not about the boat, Noah. You're putting too much in the wood, man. The boat was the vehicle that would be used to save people and souls and and create a new uh, people, God for himself. God would create for himself through Noah and his line so the Messiah could be born through it. The boat was just a vehicle so people could be saved. Something that's happened at Restoration Road, and I want our hearts to look at it. God has given us this building. This does not happen every day, okay? If you know me and know me through my life, I could care less about material things, but I care about what God tells me to care for, and I pray you do the same. The reason we want to restore this building and care for this building and actually put stuff into this building because we believe it just like an ark. It's a place where people can be restored and come to worship and come to grow and come to be taught and come to be cared for. Amen? So when we think, oh, I could care. I'm with you. I don't care about buildings, but I care about houses when people are saved, when they can run for refuge in them. That's the only way I would ever care about a material thing if it helped you take care of that which was more valuable and it was part of God's plan for our mission. So just let that burn in you. And don't let the enemy come. I don't like the, um, and maybe this happened. I don't know if it is. I don't like that we have to care for a building. I don't like that we talk about um, uh, doing office. I don't like this. Don't let the enemy or your flesh or anything take you away from, we're doing that for the mission, amen? We're doing that so we can care for that which was in God's plan. Who knows? Maybe he gives us three more other churches that we can restore and plant and see souls saved if we're faithful with this and steward this well. Him who was faithful with little, he will put in charge over much. God, that we would be faithful with this church he's given us. And maybe all these other churches that are dying that are not preaching the gospel, would he allow us to send people there to start churches in different towns and different cities for the glory of his name and the restoration of many. But Jesus chose 
to use those around him, the members of, this, of his church, to fuel the mission. That's the why. And I never saw this before. I'm reading a book called The God Ask. I'm reading a book called The God Ask. It's a great book on finances and money, and it's just very helpful even theologically. But I never realized that Jesus allowed, Jesus and his disciples, the people who were getting saved and around him, were the people who paid his bills, basically, and took care of him. I never knew that. I never knew that. If you would turn with me to Luke chapter 8, 1 through 3, this was, this was new for me as I've been trying to work through my theology of money and have a gospel mindset. Luke chapter 8, 1 through 3. If you can't get there in your Bibles, Pastor Dave is going to put it up on the screen for us. It says, soon afterward, he went on through the cities and villages, proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God. And 12 were with him, and also some women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities. Mary called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out, and Joanna, the wife of Chusa, and Herod's household manager, and Susanna, and many others, who provided for them out of their means. Who provided for them out of their means. Now, do you see that crew, crew of people? Who provided for Jesus and his disciples? What? Oh, I thought, I thought maybe something was off on my pants and they laughed at me. Who provided? The people who were getting saved by the gospel. Now, if you saw that crew, that's a motley crew. Women who were delivered from demons and infirmities. People who are higher up in society who are managing households, both the poor and the rich, those who are oppressed and those who were saved, those who are high in society, those who are low in society. They have one thing in common. They believe that Jesus was the Son of God, and the most important thing was for him to preach this gospel that people were ushered into, and they provided for what would become the early church out of their private means. Jesus took money to supply his mission. I think this is so important because there's a group of people out there, I would say like a subculture, that have unhealthy hearts towards money. And every time money comes up, they don't want to hear about it in church. Little did they know that Jesus preached on money a tremendous amount of time, and Babe Ruth had a great saying that I think helps out today. He said, the loudest booze come from the cheapest seats. The loudest booze come from the cheapest seats. You can turn that when it comes to money and fueling the mission of God in the church. To him who has an ear, let him hear. I won't even expound on that anymore. Jesus, this is the way he has set up. This is the way he has set up. And we would do well to walk in obedience to the Father's will with remarkable generosities. Generosity. I want to give you a quote from Steve Shadrach who wrote the book, the God asked, he said, Jesus wanted to initiate and model a simultaneous reliance upon God and those around him. Let me say that again. I don't want to say that quick. Jesus wanted to initiate and model a simultaneous reliance upon God and those around him. He was launching the mysterious interconnected network called the body of Christ, where God wants to work in and through us to build and sustain one another in his work around the world. God work, wants to work in and through us in our finances. 
to fuel his mission, not only here but around the world. We have been given that privilege to be remarkably generous. That's the why, to advance the mission, to care for his church that he's entrusted into our care. So let's go to the how. How do I be remarkably generous? Remarkable generosity in action. So I want to ask three questions of you. I want to ask a question of your heart. I want to ask a question of your mind. And I want to ask a question for your hands. For your heart. Because everything follows our heart. What you love the most, you don't even have to worry about how you behave. If you love something so deeply, it will change your whole life's trajectory. Heart first. Honest evaluation of it. As Socrates said, a life unexamined is not worth living. I'm asking you to examine your heart right now. If Jesus brought his disciples and sat across the treasury and you were in that line going up to the treasury, those receptacles, to put whatever you were going to put in, could he use you as a model of remarkable generosity? Could he say, Peter, Thomas, look at him, look at her. That's remarkable generosity. That's the heart question. If it's yes, fantastic. Fantastic. You get to live in the joy, contentment, and purpose that comes with following the Father's will and being obedient to God when it comes to money. You are remarkably generous. If it's a no, I pray and I ask you to repent and realign your heart with the gospel so that you could walk in the joy, contentment, and purpose that comes with walking in obedience to the Father's will. You know, I was working through Revelation this week, just in some devotional time. And Jesus is writing, what hit me as I was preparing these, uh, this message, and I felt led to share it with you guys, because I think it will apply to some of our hearts. He was writing to different churches, and he would say, you're doing great at this, but you need to grow here, or you need to repent here. He would say, this is awesome. You, you stay close to the word of God and you're in your scriptures, but you've forsaken your first love. Or you're great at this, hospitality, but there continues to be immorality among you. So he was giving letters where people could realign their hearts and their behavior in the church. And what hit me as I was preparing, I said, there are a lot of things that many of us are doing well. But I felt led by God that some of us need to deeply repent of the way we love money. And you don't have to be rich to love money. There are many who are poor and middle class who love money. Would you realign your heart and repent and walk in remarkable generosity? Second, I want to ask this question of your mind. A question for the mind. Have you done the hard mental work needed to keep a disciplined budget in order to be remarkably generous. Doing a budget is one of the most torturous things in the history of humanity. It can ruin days and weeks of your life <laughs> doing a budget. Try to be caring, kind to people while you're trying to do a budget. Flesh is burning. You need to walk by the Spirit. Drink a protein drink or something before and just get along. Have you done the hard mental work it takes 
and the discipline to make a budget and walk in a budget because we can't have excuses of why we can't give because we are not mentally disciplined with our budgets. Being disciples is that root word, discipline. And what God is looking for are our first fruits, not our last fruits. The way you do a budget is not say, okay, here's my bills, here's this, here's that, throw a few luxuries in, a few upgrades, and then whatever falls through, you catch it and beep. That's backwards. That's last fruits. And sometimes there are no fruits. <laughs> you do a budget bad enough, you'll be like just throwing air in there, trying to fake people out at the offering box, like just put a paper in. I hope you didn't do that. We've had library, strip, uh, library slips put in there. We've had someone shopped at Hearts Hardware and bought a screwdriver, just left the receipt in there. There's different moves out there. But Jesus would know if he was watching. The first fruits. When we make a budget, and I learned this um, from Dave Ramsey, the first item on your budget is to Jesus and his church to be remarkably generous. That's the first item. And let me tell you, just like God says, seek ye first the kingdom of God and all his righteousness. Don't worry about your job, food, clothing. Seek that first and everything else will fall into place. I'm telling you right now, when you make that the first item on your budget, everything else will fall into place because God is faithful and the righteous have never been bathing for bread when they are faithful to fuel the mission of God. I've lived it. I've watched it. I've seen others lived it. It's a great way to live remarkably generous. The last thing I want to ask you, do your hands, do they give freely to the church and its mission? Are they free in giving? Are they joyful in giving? Are they an extension of your heart and your mind where you say, God, I'm privileged to give? For some of you, the answer is yes. Great. Live in the joy and the contentment and the purpose that comes with following the Father's will and walking soundly when it comes to money. You are remarkable. You are remarkably generous. Some of you, if it's no, I want to ask you to repent and readjust your hands in what you're giving to. For when we do that, when we continue to grow in that and we tie that value of stewardship to seeing people stored by the gospel, by being remarkably generous, we will accomplish our mission in health and power to the glory of God. And I want to close with this. Remarkable generosity is shown in its greatest capacity at the cross of Christ. Jesus gave everything. He withheld nothing. And he did it joyfully. He is our greatest model of remarkable generosity. He motivates us to give. It's his church we fuel. It's his mission we advance. It's him who saves souls through the words we utter when we utter the gospel. Our mission is to see people restored by the gospel. Our first week we talked about tying the gospel to that mission by laboring for the broken. 
The second week we talked about family, tying family to our mission by taking responsibility for each other. The third sermon we talked about restoration and tying that to our mission by having gospel conversations. And today we close our series with tying stewardship to our mission by being remarkably generous. Let's grow in that this year. Just like we said, let's pray that every pew is filled, not next year, but this year. And I believe God's going to answer that prayer. What if we had a fully sustained budget just from our hands, hearts, and mind this year, not in four years? Would you believe and act with me on that? With man, it is impossible. With God, all things are possible. When we take these actions, when we stand on these values, when we stay committed to that mission, we will just step back and see God do his work of restoring people out of the gospel. Let's pray.